Good morning. Glad you guys could be here this morning. I realize some of you may not even know who I am, so let me take just a couple of minutes and introduce introduce myself. My name is Andy Gilbert. Uh, my wife Abby is back there in the cheap seats today. Um, not not by not by necessity, I hope. Uh, Drew, uh, my son is uh, who turns six tomorrow is back there as well, and uh, also we have. Uh, a little one who is on the way. Um, you guys can uh, be praying for us about that. Uh, expected in November, so family's going to be growing, so we're excited about that as well. Uh, we started coming to uh, Tri-Cities in November, um, so about six months or so, and it's been kind of a, a wild ride for us. We were actually uh, doing a house church uh, almost right across the, the street uh, back there over in the Plymouth Ridge uh, apartment area with uh, a few uh, a few other uh, people who felt called to, to do the same and uh, over the course of just a lot of uh, a lot of random events i can 't begin to tell you how many times since we moved back here in two thousand and eleven uh, that Tri-Cities Baptist was brought up uh, and at first it was kind of like you know oh there 's this pastor who 's from Vegas and you know he 's got this church that really did something cool and you know me as a pastor I'm like Psh! Yeah, whatever. And, but it just kept coming up. I mean, family joining Tri-Cities and, you know, the mortgage loan officer that we were with joining Tri-Cities. Like, it just kept coming up. And so I should have seen this coming, that God works in hilarious ways like this, that um, literally across the street, uh, Tri-Cities would come here. And uh, over the course of getting to know Derek, uh, realizing his heart, and you know, we were literally doing the same things across the street from each other. Um, we decided, I guess, to, I guess you could call it the Brady Bunch, this thing, kind of come together and uh, um, see what that looks like, and it's, um, it's, been, it's been great for us, and you guys, are, you guys are awesome. We're so excited to be a part of this family and to see, to see where it's going, um, not just now, but what I see down the road and how God can use this church and this city and this country and this world. Uh, so, so excited. So, um, we are uh, going through Colossians, and Colossians, when uh, Derek's like, oh, I want you to preach through Colossians, Colossians means uh, something uh, different to me. It has a personal um, uh, history with me, I guess you could say. Uh, when we were in Seattle, uh, the very first house church that we um, got started, we, we, uh, Abby and I kind of talked and prayed about what do we what do we do? Do we go verse by verse? This is kind of a younger, uh, mature, uh, maturity-wise, a younger group. Uh, they've been in church, but they weren't really sure. Uh, we didn't really know kind of where they were at beyond that. And so we were like, hey, let's go through Colossians. And it was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's just go verse by verse, just like we're doing here. We'll hammer this out. I get to use that seminary education and just wow them with my greatness and everything. And so off we went. And I was, you know, the first week, just hammering away, just feeling the, you know, flow of the Lord just through every, all of my words and everything, just like, oh, this is so great. And week two, same thing, and the bunch was kind of quiet, and I told them, if you've got questions, you know, just stop me, raise your hand, we'll talk about it, we'll iron this out, but nobody was saying anything, so naturally, I took that to mean we're all good, everything's going great. Idiot. Um, <laughs> week three, continuing to go through, verse by verse, just just hitting it, just like, I, just like I had been before. Finally, one of them raised their hand. I'm like, yes. All right, what do you got? And she says, Andy, first of all, I just want to say, we think you're great. 
And so my mind just instantly flashes back to like, like high school years. I'm like, I know what this is. This is the breakup talk. <laughs> I'm going to get dumped right here on the spot. And, and, and they just, you know, we think you're great. We just, we just don't understand what you're saying to us. We, we, we're not getting it. And so I thought, oh, okay. So let's maybe scale back, you know, some of the big theological terms and kind of get down and, and let's, just, let's just go simple. And so, so I'm always, from now on, I will always think of Colossians as that moment where I almost got dumped as a pastor. <laughs> so, um, so brief recap of Colossians 3, where we've kind of come, uh, other than Mother's Day, through these last few weeks. Um, if I could sum this up, uh, in, in a few words uh, from, from chapter 3, verse 1, up until uh, uh, actually the verses that we're going to be going through today. It's this. If you have been raised with Christ, your life is not meant to remain the same. If you've been raised with Christ, your life is not meant to remain the same. It changes your mindset there, and Paul says in verse 2, we're supposed to seek the things that are above. This goes to what Jesus would, would say in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, we're supposed to uh, store up treasures in heaven, not, not here on earth where, where thieves and moths can, can destroy. You, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so, so it changes our mindset. We're no longer thinking about best-case scenario on earth and, and what my life looks like. This isn't the end result for us anymore. It also leads us to turn away from our sin. And in verses 5 through 9, as Derek talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Paul said, literally, put to death, kill, kill these things in your life. The sin in your life that once defined you should be no more. This is, this is about putting on a, a new self, and so if we are to turn away or put off this kind of behavior, what's supposed to replace it? If the sin no longer defines us, and we're supposed to take that off, what are we supposed to put on in its place? And before we get into that, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount that I was referring to earlier. Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. It's in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, Christians, your life, your testimony, it matters. It carries weight. This was Jesus' plan all along. If, he, if God saw it fit to, to have Jesus on this earth for, from beginning to end and be the, the one way uh, walking around and being the, the person to teach and interact with people that uh, physically to save humanity, that's what he would have done. But Jesus knew this, that he was going to put his light in you and in me and send us out 
It's like he told the apostles there in Acts, I want you to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. That's how people are going to know who I am. I will make myself known through you. Your light, my light. We cannot afford to debate this in a, in a world that likes to judge and nitpick on, um, oh, it doesn't matter what people think. You know, I'm just supposed to live my life. How many times do we hear that? As a Christian, it does matter how we live our life. People are watching. It does matter. And the world was meant to see our light. The world desperately needs to see our light. Desperately needs to see our light. One of my biggest fears, guys, one of my biggest fears that I have in my life is complacency. That I would get to a point in my life where I get comfortable in my faith, where I kind of no longer am concerned with the world around me, that it's just about you know, me or my family or you know, how Drew's doing in school or you know, our jobs and stuff. If that becomes like an end game for me, oh my gosh, I've missed it. I've missed it. This is not about an issue of having peace, but rather a sense of urgency in our life. Because as we shine this light, as we are called to shine this light, there are 4.5 billion people in this world that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 4.5 billion. And there are hundreds and thousands of people groups, millions of people who have never even heard the name of Jesus spoken. Just stop for a second and just think about that. Think about that. 4.5 billion people. And that's assuming the 2.5 or so billion people left that profess Jesus actually are Christian. 4.5 billion. Are we okay with that? Am I okay with that? The scariest part is that it's easy for us as Christians in America to not think about it. Because especially for us in the, in the Bible Belt, uh, church is such a part of our culture, uh, such a part of who we are. I grew up, uh, from the time I can remember as a, a baby, uh, in church. The church was a part of my life long before even a personal relationship with Jesus was a part of my life. And so um, <laughs> the scary part is you can, you can get the church thing rolling and, and totally miss, totally miss this and totally just disregard the millions of people who have never heard. Are we okay with that? And so as we dig into to God's Word today in Colossians 3, um, Let's, uh, what I'd like to do is share with you five truths that I believe stand out in the, in the verses uh, that Joel and Beth read this morning. So turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3 again. We're just going to pick this apart, talk about it, see what God reveals to us through it. Truth number one is this. <clears throat> The life of a follower of Christ is meant to reflect 
the character of Christ. The life of a follower of Christ is meant to reflect the character of Christ. So Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones. And as God's chosen ones, this is, this is Paul's reminder of, of his argument leading up to this. You are alive in Christ now. You're risen in him. Your life's not meant to look the same anymore. You're now holy and beloved. You are changed. You are not all of those things that were mentioned in verses 5 through 9. They do not define you anymore. You're to put those things to death. By his grace, you are one of his now, and that brings with it a new self. And Paul gives us an illustration of what this new self looks like. He uses the words put on. And so that word, uh, the, the words put on literally mean clothe yourselves. And so just take Paul's illustration there and just kind of use it as an illustration for, for today. And we're supposed to put this on, wear it as, as clothing. Uh, it's, this, is a, this is Paul using this for purposes of identity. And if you think about uh, like a policeman or a fireman, um, we identify those people mainly by what? By what they wear. Right? You can see a police officer, uh, those you know, nasty, hidden you know, <laughs> cop, cop cars that will pull you over speeding when they don't let themselves know. But I've not been pulled over by one, but I always thought, if I ever did, that's not fair. Um, <laughs> but we know, them, we know them by what they wear, their identification, the uniforms, the, the cars, the fire truck. That tells us who they are. And so the virtues, the list of virtues that Paul describes here that we are to to put, our, to put on for ourselves, to clothe ourselves with, are this. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And most of us are familiar with these to, to some degree. We've heard these. Um, maybe they've been used about you. Um, hopefully so. Um, uh, but we've heard or been familiar with these. And we could spend weeks, honestly. Uh, when I started studying this section, I got to verse 12. I was like, how am I ever even going to get by verse 12? There's so much. We could, we could take weeks and just talk about what each of these virtues are supposed to look like in, in our lives. Um, but what I want to do today is have us consider the source from which Paul draws these virtues out. Why does Paul use these virtues compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience why these and so i'm going to put us on a little bible drill here uh, first scripture i want us to look at is matthew 9 matthew 9 chapter 35 i to test my own bible flipping skills here Matthew 9, verse 35. And when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now to the Old Testament, Psalm 31. Psalm 
Psalm 31, verse 19. Uh, David, writing this, says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. Back to the New Testament, Philippians. I told you, it's going to be a little bit of a Bible drill. You were warned. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming human. Matthew, back to Matthew chapter 11. Going where somewhere with this, I promise. Hopefully you're seeing, picking up on it yourself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last one. First Peter. First Peter chapter three and verse twenty. Because they formerly did not obey, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. God's patience waited. So what we have here is a pattern, right? You guys pick up on it? These aren't virtues that Paul just necessarily just blindly, you know, throwing like darts up on a wall without looking. They're meant uh, with a very purpose because they do what? They describe the very character and nature of Jesus. The very character and nature of Jesus. So Paul then, by urging us to clothe ourselves in these virtues, he's telling us to clothe ourselves in the character of our Lord clothe ourselves in the character of our Lord. The life of a follower of Christ is meant to reflect the character of Christ. He set the example for us. Thank goodness, right? Thank goodness that I'm not setting the example (laughs) that would go on to be patterned or replicated by millions of people throughout history. No, Jesus' example is perfect. His nature, his character is perfect. We are to strive to follow in his footsteps, a process that never ends on this side of heaven. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, crap, my life is a mess. You know, there's, there's stuff I just can't get by. It's okay. There's stuff I can't, I have trouble getting through too. All of us, if we were honest with ourselves, would say the same thing. But thankfully, Jesus walked this earth, died for us so that we wouldn't have to lay in that stuff. We wouldn't be judged and condemned for that stuff. He saved us, and he wants to make us new, that his power, his character, his nature allows us to overcome and victory those things. So what impact does this potentially have on our lives and the people around us? What would it look like if we were to put on the very character and nature of Christ? 
my, <clears throat> my job that I have now, when I first moved um, back to East Tennessee, it caused me to have to go to uh, the West Coast like four or five times a year. So I used to have to go through uh, airport security, which I quickly grew to just despise. Could not stand the lines, the waiting. You got to take shoes off. You got to stand in line. You know, I have my laptops. So you got to take that out. And then some airports want you to open it. Some don't. And then they yell at you if you don't know which airport wants you to do what. And it just it drives me insane. And and there there's a pattern there. I would say three, four, five times in a row. And for those of you that, that travel, will understand why I was so upset at this. That I would get pulled out of line and asked to do like the like that extra screening where they wave that wand, you know, over there. You have to spread out and it totally singles you out. There's hundreds of people going, why him, you know? Um, <laughs> or I get it, why him, you know? Um, hopefully not that, but, um, but it was like three or four times in a row, and I was like, what is going on? Why me? Why me? And so eventually I come home from the trip. And I was like, Abby, this is like the third or fourth time in a row. Why me? She was like, well, you are kind of like, you get this, like, shifty vibe sometimes. So. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, you're always looking to see, you know, what people, if people are looking at you and what people are doing, and, you know, it, they could sometimes misperceive that. I'm like, okay. And she said, you need to think about what you wear. I was like, well, I'm on 6 a.m. flights. You know, it, it's all about comfort at 6 a.m. I want my, you know, little running pants, hoodie, headphones, you know, I'm going in, you know, <laughs> representing the, you know, young kids as best I, this old guy can, and, but maybe that's not working, right, because Abby's like, ah, maybe that's just getting you, you know, that with the shifty eyes, you're, they're putting it all together, like, this guy, you know, and I'm getting pulled over, so it's like, yeah, you know what, I've had it, I'm going to change it up, I'm going to change it up, so the next flight, I found the khaki pants that I don't like to wear on flights, put them on, Button up shirt, buttoned it up, you know, made sure that when I got, you know, into the airport, I was smiling. Because I get it at 6 a.m. Who smiles at 6 a.m.? So I was like, all right, I'm going to try to smile at 6 a.m. You know, just not too much that people would notice, but um, like, what's wrong with this guy? But it worked, and I got through the airport line, and I was like, I cannot believe she was right. You know, and maybe I am shifty, and maybe you've noticed this about me, but it's like, this Andy guy, he's supposed to be a pastor, but he's shifty, and he, uh, I'm an introvert, and so, you know, forgive me if I've not um, let that come out of me fully yet, so, um, but really, what, what this is, is uh, the putting on of the new clothes, it's allowed me to be seen in a different manner, right, and so suddenly, uh, the, you know, the guy walking through the line wasn't the, you know, gangster looking, you know, guy anymore but I was dressed up I looked I hopefully looked like a better representative of who I was on the inside and airport security randomly this time just decided to let me pass right and so that's the way it is with us when we put this nature on us it allows us to be a better representative of who we are right who we are in Christ you think about it guys compassionate hearts Kindness, humility, meekness, patience. That is who Jesus was. That's who he was when he walked on this earth. When he dug his nails into the lives of the dirty people and fed them and met with them and, and spoke with them. 
He was putting on all of that stuff. He was modeling the behavior that he meant for us to come right along behind, not create something new for ourselves, but just keep it going. Keep it going. So that's truth number one. Truth number two, we are going to have to pick up the pace. It was not my intention to go for the record, the sermon record, in my first opportunity here, but um, so I will pick up the pace. Um, Truth number two, your relationships are to be handled in light of the cross. Your relationships are to be handled in light of the cross. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. When I read this verse uh, and studying it, the first thing that came to my mind was, man, this is not one of those like self-motivating verses, Right? I don't get to talk about like, oh, the grace of God, God's so great, hey, so gracious, he loves you, he forgives you. Uh, and, and it's not talking about missions, which I love. I you know, send you guys out, tell you guys to be disciples of all nations. This isn't one of those verses. This is like, oh, forgiving others. Yay, you know. <laughs> we love to do that, right? We love to think about what it's like to forgive the person that's like stabbed us in the back. And that's the danger uh, especially with our culture in the South. And the thing about this is like, um, and even Derek, uh, before this morning, he, he gave an example of Paul confronting Peter over an issue. And I thought, man, that just does not happen in today's church, does it? Like, how often do you see people just openly confronting people over over things? Sometimes good things, right? We just don't, don't see that very much. And especially the danger in the South, I think, is that, um, we smile, everything's good, and if you feel like you might have, you know, maybe you didn't show up to that party or that function that somebody wanted you to go to, and then you see him at church on Sundays, like, hey, are we good? I'm sorry, you know, I had something. Oh, yeah, we're good. And as soon as they turn the back, it's like, dagger, you know, whoosh, and, and you're going to talk about them to everybody, you know, I can't believe they didn't come, or, you know, so there's, and, and then there's people that are just hard to get along with, right? Let's be honest. There are people that are hard to get along with. And especially when you try to, you know, any church is going to have that, but especially when you say, we're going to try to do church the right way, and we're going to aim it in the right direction, we're going to give Jesus the credit for it, and we're going to go out and we're going to be a ascending church that multiplies and makes disciples. Guess what? You're still going to be doing that with people that, if it were just up to you, they wouldn't be coming to the, the family get-together. You wouldn't be having them over for shoots and ladders. You wouldn't do it. I don't know why I thought of that. It's the <laughs> first game. of That's the six-year-old father uh, coming out of me there. Um, but, and it's easy. I mean, we think, we think, yikes, it's hard to get along with some people. Uh, you know, oh, they're too loud. Oh, they're too quiet. Oh, they, you know, oh, the pastor didn't talk to me. Oh, the pastor talked to me too much and made me feel uncomfortable. I mean, it's just side to side and, and various extremes, and, and we don't like it. And, and, the, and the truth is, most of us, you know what we end up doing? We just go find another church. What if, what if God told us to dig in and figure out a way, if he's called you here, to live amongst each other and not just survive, but thrive, endure with one another. The funny thing happens 
when you clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You think about that. You suddenly are able to handle the hard things and the hard people a little better. Paul understood this. That's why he tells us to clothe ourselves with this. When we, when we think about the compassionate hearts that we're supposed to have, the, the meekness, the humility that we're supposed to approach uh, church with, uh, approach people with, when we do that and when someone offends us or does us wrong, don't we forgive a little easier? In light of, as Paul says, what he's done for us, the truth is we can't do this in our own power, right? We all got daggers. We all, we're just waiting to throw them, right? Give me a reason, I'll find it. But that's not what this is about. This is about clothing ourselves in the nature and the character of Christ. When that happens, when Christ becomes the example, when he's the example, that puts all of us in the back of the line, right? I'm no longer the judge. I can no longer say, Derek preaches too long. It's too long. Dagger. You know? I, I switch it up and I say, no, nah, man, I love Derek. That he loves God so much that he can't help but talk 45 plus minutes every Sunday about how good Jesus is. Sorry, man. I had no intention to do it. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to be the Holy Spirit, right? So, um, we, I mean, that, that's it, though, right? It changes the way we view those tough moments, those tough people. It's not about us anymore and our hurt feelings. We're supposed to forgive in light of the forgiveness that's been given to us. Uh, Ephesians 4.32, I think we've got a slide for that. Yes. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If ever we need a reality check when it comes to should I forgive or should I hold this grudge, that is the answer. As God in Christ forgave you. Can you forgive because you've been forgiven? Jesus said it's the standard for absolute forgiveness. He did it for you and for me. As we stick along around long enough, we decide we're going to dig in and do church together. We're going we're to get all there is to have out of this. All that God wants for this church is what we want. And why wouldn't <laughs> Why would we be here if that wasn't the case? But if that's what we want, this will come up. This will come up. Stick around long enough. You will be faced with an opportunity to throw the dagger or to forgive, to hold a grudge or to quit and leave or to dig in and figure out a biblical way to work through it. Will we be that as a church? Can we be that as a church? To me, there's no other there's no other option but yes. Truth number three, love unleashes your full potential. Love unleashes your full potential. There in verse 14, <clears throat> and above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul says above all these things, and so the, the, the language around that, uh, original language around that is literally put on top of all these things. This was meant to be uh, a garment that you wear over top of the compassionate heart, the humility, 
the kindness, the meekness, the gentleness. This is what you throw on over top of all of this. So literally, this is, this is the big one. This is what binds it all together in perfect harmony. And that is love. Love is given special importance in Paul's illustration. That's because he says it binds all things together. So this all realizes its full potential. And if you think about it, just common sense logic, you don't take spiritual, but even if you were to take the spiritualness out of this, it just makes sense. I can be as compassionate as I want to be, but when I love you, and this is, a, this is that agape love. This isn't like, oh, I love Reese cups. This is, I really, I love you. It's a Christ-like love. Doesn't that compassion reach a new level? Right? Isn't that what made Jesus Jesus? That he was able to do things in such a way that it wasn't just like social justice or like just good servant leadership. This was like, Christ meeting the needs, healing the sick, giving the blind sight out of love. And because of that love, I mean, we just, it was just a whole other level was reached out of those virtues. That is what, that is what Paul has in mind here. Um, that that first, uh, first Corinthians 13 uh, scripture reference that gets used in, in weddings so often, right? Love is patient. Love is kind love is those are the first two i remember those two <laughs> it's okay um you know it, it does not it, it's, it's just always loving it does not stop and then at the end of verse 13 paul says the, the greatest of these the greatest of these things is love and so these virtues are at their best when love is present uh, the idea of love being supreme is not new it's not new um Jesus said the, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Two things in common? Love, right? And so uh, can we love this way as a church? And I think about this, you know, it's easy for me to think about it as like a you know, pastor standpoint or whatever, but this isn't about that. This is about like you guys and the guests or the people that come in uh, for the first time, maybe the second time, check it out again. Um, wouldn't it be cool for us to be known, uh, for people to walk away and, and, and their drive away in their cars as they're talking about the experience on the way home? And they do. We did it. It happens. Man, that church, you could just feel the love. This church loves each other. This church has each other's back in a way that I just don't, I haven't seen anything like this. I haven't felt anything like this before, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's, why strive for anything less? Can we love this way as a church? Truth number four, the gospel should be at the center of who we are and what we do. The gospel should be at the center of who we are and what we do. We'll hit this one fast. Let the peace of Christ, verse 15, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and thankfulness in your hearts 
to God. This has a corporate feel to this. We know this because Paul uses a couple of phrases here, uh, one body and in one another. So that tips us off that, that Paul's kind of letting us in a little bit here on a, an early church, like corporate worship gathering. What were the kinds of, the kinds of things that, that went on here? Um, well, teaching, right? Uh, singing psalms, hymns, but also uh, admonishing one another. And it gets back to that, <laughs> wow, they admonished one another. What would that look like here if we were to, to incorporate that and, and live that out? And the peace of Christ isn't, again, you can see Paul almost build the building blocks setting up here. Isn't the, the natural result of clothing yourselves and all those virtues, of putting love over top, don't you think that that gives you a, what, peace? A peace? It just makes, it, it makes sense. This isn't some man-made ability to keep calm. It's, it's, it's a God-given peace that stems from living a life that reflects what Christ has done for you. And the, the message of Christ, this is, uh, this, this is the, the message that proclaims Jesus. This is the gospel. And so Paul is essentially saying this, what everything we do here, everything we do, think, think, think corporate here, obviously individual, but think corporate gathering. It all has to point back. It's all meant to point back to, to Christ. Everything we do, songs we sing, messages we preach, programs we put into place, mission, vision, you name it. If we can't point it back there, why are we doing it? Why are we messing around? It should all point back there. The gospel should be at the center of who we are and what we do. It all needs to point back to him. And therefore, it should all be on the table. And I love the way this has been phrased in, in weeks past. I've heard, um, you know, Derek and some of the leadership say, um, it's all on the table, what's working and what's not. But that's where we should be. That's where we should be. As, as people, as individuals, it should all be on the table. And as a church, it should all be on the table. If something's not working, especially if something's counterproductive to the mission, we've got to scrap it, guys. Yeah, scrap it. And we should be able to line it all up. Line it all up. It should all point back to Christ. Truth number five. And to me, uh, this one, they're all important, but this one, phew. God cares about your heart. God cares about your heart. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Guys, our, our motives, our motives, uh, <laughs> which are the, the reasons behind why we do what we do, they matter. It matters. God cares about your heart. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount we've alluded to a couple of times already, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. It's all about Jesus saying, you've heard it said that the standard is this. You know, that you should not commit adultery. But I say that it's about your heart. And so he raises the level up to here. And whoever looks at another person with lust in their heart commits adultery. Whoa! Right? So that's motive. 
and people just checking off the box down here. Well, you know, I've smacked and kicked her and around. I don't tell her I love her and, you know, but we're still married, so box checked off. No, you know, we're not divorcing. What? You know, it's up here. I got to love Abby with the love of Christ. That's what it's meant about. It's not about just like living in the same house together and surviving each other. This is love. And so the motive, the driver behind why I stick around, right? Not for the, my kid. It's not because that's the right thing to do. It's because I want to love her so much that I'm just compelled to, to keep on loving her, stay in. That's the easy. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, there's moments. There's moments where we <laughs> fight. But, you know, we figure out a way. Again, church, do we run? Do we quit? Do we dig in and figure out a way to make it work? Remember, remember Matthew 5, 14 through 16. We serve a jealous God, one who wants to be number one in your life and glorified in and through your life. He doesn't say, let your light shine before men so that they'll see your good deeds, period. What does he say? So that they'll see your good deeds and do what? Praise your Father who is in heaven. That's what this all goes back to. That's why our motives matter. Because if I do something nice for you guys, and in the heart of me, it's just so that I could be seen, that I could stand up here one day and, you know, share 30, 40 minutes of my life and what God's doing in my life with you guys. If that's my end game, then that's my reward. It ends right there. But I don't want that. Again, I want, I want to seek that that's above. Uh, the, the store up the treasures in heaven where thieves and moths can't destroy anymore. I want that. Do you want that? Is that what you want? To live your life in such a way that the heartbeat motive behind what you do, what you do, seeks to glorify Christ, to give the credit to Christ. And I, again, if we could be a church that centers ourselves on that, as we've been paid, we've been bought with the ultimate price, one that should be fresh on our minds each and every day. If you've given your life to Christ, your life is not your own anymore. So when we put on this new self and we live it out in front of the world, we do so not for our own benefit. We do so because he's saved us. He deserves to be praised for it. That he took a wretch like you, like me. He literally flipped us around, bound for an eternity apart from him. All of us. The best one of us in here included. All of us. None of us good enough to get there on our own. He sent his son to die for you and for me. Again, you know, when I think of complacency in my life, how often does that just come to my mind? I'm convicted by that. How often do I live my life each and every day recognizing that Christ died for me, that my life is new, that I have opportunity, that I have the opportunity to do all these, to live out all these truths that I've shared that we looked at today, only because he sought me out. He pursued me, loved me, 
He cared enough for me to die for me so that I could one day live for him and spend eternity with him. Man. Again, how does that, if we really lock into that, the light really comes on, how is the outcome of that not to share with as many people as we possibly can? A sense of urgency. How is that not just a, a direct result of what he's done for us? So as we wrap up, um, some final thoughts about life with the new self. And worship team, you guys can <coughs> start to make your way up here. Um, if we as a church, if we as people were to to do that, what I just said, and we were to determine ourselves and we, we pray and we, we ask God, God, give me a heartbeat for this. Give me a, a desire, a desperate desire to want to pursue these things. We must be prepared for our mission. We must be prepared for our mission. When we place on the new self, when we let our, life sh- our light shine, we must be ready for the spiritual battle to intensify. Things don't get easier when we start to pursue Christ more diligently. They get harder. It goes for yourself, your family, and our church. David Platt, <coughs> David Platt says this, um, he says, the danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship in Christ. The danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship in Christ. And at first thought, that scares the heck out of me. But then on second thought, how in the world can I settle for anything less? I don't want to play games. I can do it. You can do it. We can come in and out of here every Sunday morning and just check off the box. Call it a good day. Put our Bible down. Never touch it again. Never pray. Never pursue. Never talk. Never share. We can do it. We can pull it off. But why? Why when God has so much more for you and for me? Why would we pursue a life that's anything less than everything that he wants for you, for me, and for our church? I don't want to settle. I don't want, again, the the complacency in my heart refuses to to let go of this. I want to look back on my life and know that, you know, ups and downs, mistakes and everything in between, that, man, I I tried to be as obedient as I could to what Jesus was telling me to do. If each one of us can say that, if our church can say that, then we will get to heaven. Our Father will look at us and He will say, well done. That is what I want. That is what our church, I want our church to want. We must be mindful of our destination. Heaven is our destination, not earth. And we must be desperate in our pursuit of Christ. Guys, I want us to not just, again, play this game. I'm not here to play games. I want us to live it out. All these truths, we can, we can do it. We can do it. 
Not because we're good enough again, but because he's good enough. Because he wants that. He wants that for my life. He wants that for your life. And he wants that for our church. He wants us to be a light in this world. Is that what you want? You bow your heads. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that some of those virtues that Paul outlined were are some of the things that just not been evident in your life, the things that you're just falling way short of. And you just need to lay, confess that today, lay it down. Ask God to forgive you. Maybe you're here and you just, it just boils down to the pursuit issue in general. That you have been guilty of just checking off boxes and you've not thought much about, about how your life is meant to be lived out in front of others and what your role might be in the church or anything like that. And, and today, you want to make a commitment to seek those answers out. Maybe you're here today and you've got someone to forgive. Make today the day that don't hold on to that any longer. Don't hold that hurt, that bitterness, that anger any longer. Father God, we just, we thank you for your love, for how that transforms us, for how that changes us, for how that just, it clothes us in your character. God, I pray that the things in my life that are found wanting and fall short of this, that, God, you just clean those things up. And, God, as there are prayers hopefully going out throughout this room right now, that you just cover each of those in your compassion and your humility and gentleness and meekness and forgiveness. And help us to discover the realization that we are made new in you. That we have a mission and our lives are meant to live that out. God, help us to be a church that just can't help but tell others about you. Whose heart breaks for the 4.5 billion. God, help my heart to break more for that. that just be just a, a desperate pursuit to find those that don't know you and share the good news of what you've done it's in your name I pray amen